morning, if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn with me there. The first two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, will be our text we'll look at in just a moment. Welcome, welcome. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I welcome every single one of you here today. God has blessed us with just a beautiful day. And if this is your first time here at Big Woods, a special welcome to you. Um, it is a delight to lift up our voices in praise and thankfulness and worship to the Lord for all of his goodness. We've spent the last couple weeks, three weeks now, in September, really focusing on our vision and, and why we exist and, and where we're going and why we need to go there. And we've talked about refocus, um, understanding very clearly what it is, why we exist, to build relationships so that God is glorified in lives, homes, families are transformed, literally changed through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the importance of reigniting that vision. What is it that reignites? What is it that makes us shine forth as lights, but holding forth to the word of life? That is the message of the gospel. Everything that we do is surrounded around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is found in this book right here. And I was just thinking about it because there are portions and elements from God's word that are hard to hear. But we have committed ourselves that every part of this word from God... We're going to obey, which means every part of this word I'm going to teach to you the best that I can so that God is glorified. And that is my hope and my prayer this morning. Let's bow our heads together and ask for God's help as we begin to learn from his word. Father, as we are just recipients of your grace today for all that you have given to us, we we bow before you as Lord over everyone and everything, and we want to thank you for your love for us. Thank you for each person that is here. Thank you for the presence of your spirit that, that exists amongst us and in us. Thank you, Lord, for your holy and perfect and complete word that guides us to lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. And now, Lord, as we have a few moments to look at its truth and to learn, I would ask that you'd free us, our minds, from worrying or wondering about what's next or making lists or concerns about where we need to go or what we need to accomplish this week. Father, help us, Lord, just for a few moments to just quiet everything down and hear from you. Guard, please, Lord, my own mouth and lips and help me to, to say only what you desire. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll read these couple verses in a moment before we do. Just very quickly kind of set the context for you. Um, the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. If the Apostle Paul were standing up in front of us today, I think that in all honesty, physically, he would be rather unimpressive to look at. Um, Mr. Rogers without the boat sneakers. Um, the boat sneakers made him cool. I don't think necessarily the Apostle Paul saw it to be real cool. He wasn't concerned about that because he had something with inside of him. He had a resolve, an inner strength that was clearly given by the Holy Spirit that set him apart. Romans verse chapter 1, verse 1 says, set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was an unbelievable, spirit-led, godly man. I would almost say unprecedented. Um, in addition to that, we know that he writes this letter 
he is in Corinth and he's writing to a, a group of believers or a church in the city of Rome, Italy. What's interesting, kind of like we saw last week in the book of Philippians, he's not writing this letter to correct errant theology or bad doctrine or faulty, false teaching. It's not, it's not like the Galatians, not like the Colossians. He's not even writing a letter to, to call them back from ungodly living like the Corinthians. As a matter of fact, the Roman Christians, the church, this letter that we're going to read a couple verses from, the, the, the Roman church is doing very well. Even though outward circumstances, they are facing some some dire persecution. They are in and of themselves doctrinally sound. They're well-grounded. They're secure in their belief. If you were to walk into that church, that group of probably pockets that met throughout the city, they're doing everything well. Baptisms and baby dedications. They're having prayer meetings and potluck suppers. They're enjoying being together. The problem is, is that they're going so well at doing the church, there are some of the, the, the fractures that appear that looks like they could begin to, to lack of what I call being the church. They're going through all the motions. The way that you and I, on a consistent basis, come to church, we can go through the motions. We can do church. But there's a difference, and that's what we're looking at this morning, of why we need to be the church. When we, when we go through the actions, thing become, things become too familiar to us. And when things become too familiar, it's actually dangerous. You know what I get a kick out of watching around our community, especially because I'm getting to know a number of families, are, are the, the young kids, when they turn 16, and they get their learner's permit, and they start to drive. And it's, it's, it's almost frightening because I see them coming towards me. I'm like, oh, didn't I just see them? Like, they're just a little kid. And now they're old enough to drive. And, and you see them. And they're kind of like white-knuckled, you know, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock. And, and you look at them and you wave to them. And it's kind of like, it's all business, okay? <laughs> they are, they're not going past the little white line at the stop sign the way that you and I do, okay? Matter of fact, what happens is when, when these young ones get too comfortable, when it becomes familiar to them, that's where there's going to be some problems. More accidents actually occur from those that have been driving for a number of years as opposed to that are doing this. Okay? Then you see the kids a couple, you know, a little while later and, you know, arms hanging out the window and the radio's blasting and they're talking and they're, hey. Okay, that's when trouble happens. Familiarity breeds complacency. Complacency can lead to danger. That's, in a sense, the position of where the Romans were getting. Thus, a word from his word, not only from Paul to the Romans, but from the Holy Spirit to you and I, to recommit, to to come to make sure we understand why are we doing what we're doing so that it doesn't, what, become too familiar, too old. It has to stay fresh. It has to stay what we are completely sold out to God in everything that we say and everything we do. A little bit of background by way of how Paul and what Paul is saying. Here it is, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal 
of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here it is. The Apostle Paul begins with a plea. I appeal to you. Some translations read, I beseech you or I beg you. I implore you. What Paul is saying is that this is something important. There's important things in life and there's unimportant things. There's significant things in life and then there's insignificant. Paul is saying this is important. He says what? I appeal to you brothers or brothers and sisters. I appeal to you family members. He's referring to the local church of Jesus Christ. And then he says what? By the mercies of God, his clear and unarguable authority for calling people to attention. Listen to this because this is important is because it is all based on the fact that God's mercy has been poured out upon us and you and I simply do not deserve it. Paul is establishing a foundation that says every bit and piece of information that you hear from this point out is based on the fact that you and I alone are sinners who deserve separation from God and damnation from God, but by God's mercy. But by what? We've been rescued and redeemed, but by the authority of the gospel. Paul begins and he says, you cannot move apart from the gospel. So what? Paul wants his listeners to get it. We, we began our morning by singing this song from John Newton years ago, Amazing Grace, the old slave trader. And he, he got it. Well, what is that? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch! I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Last week we had the privilege of, of baptizing a bunch of people. Do you realize that those people get it? They realize they're not being baptized in order to go to heaven. No, they realize it's not anything that they've done. They're just showing everyone else. They want to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. They got it. You and I need to understand, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift. Not of works. Why? Because we have a tendency to boast. So Paul begins with this. And he begins with this idea first and foremost. And here's our first point for this morning. The importance of recommitting to offer every part of yourself to the Lord. So here's where we begin. Here's how we launch off the text into everyday life. We recommit to offer every part of yourself to the Lord. You are to present your bodies. What does he use this term? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Understand that if you are here this morning and you have acknowledged that there is only one way that you will ever go to heaven, not a way through Jesus Christ, but the way, as Luke sang about, we understand what? That we have submitted and surrendered our lives entirely to him as Lord of our life. And we understand the truth, according to what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You, you and I, we, exist, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. 
Therefore, everything that we do, in a sense, we are offering to him lock, stock, and barrel. It is him. Now, it is expected that every single thing that you and I have been given. Okay, what is it that we have been given? Well, we're sitting here. We have eyes. We have ears and hands and feet. We've been given at least one spiritual gift. Many of you have been given multiple spiritual gifts. You've been given resources and monies. You've been given the blessings of families. You've been given the blessings of freedom. You've been given the blessings of education. Everything that you have, your mind, you are to what? Offer it to the Lord, literally as an act of worship. And we do it, what? It says everything that we do, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, you do it all for God's glory. Now, now we're... We're supposed to do that. The problem is, is that you and I like what we have been given. Okay, I, I, I like my own mind. You like your own, your own eyes, your own ears, your own what, your own gifts. And we have a tendency to hold on to what has been given to us and use them for our own glory as opposed to offer them for God's glory, which means automatically there's conflict right there. We're to offer everything. We offer everything. And we can't say, wait, what about me? I want something. Paul addresses the subject right here. He goes, no, that's, that, that conflict does not need to exist if you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's not right. It's a priority thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so there's where we have a bit of a problem. We actually like to seek second, third, fourth, and it's not going to cut it. Not if we say, okay, this is, this is what we're going to teach. It's all here. We have to present all of this. That's why Paul offers this very important reminder. Present yourselves, offer yourselves a living sacrifice. There's where we pause this morning on that phrase. Yeah, there's a lot. It's, in English, okay, it's referred to as an oxymoron, which means why it, it appears contradictory. Living sacrifice, it doesn't really make sense. If something is living, how can it be sacrificed? The sacrifice is something that's been offered that is dead. If something is dead, how can it then in turn be alive? So what do we do here? How does this work? A lot of times, initially, we just hear the term living sacrifice, and we're like, that's kind of creepy. Isn't that kind of like a blood sacrifice? Like, are we joining some kind of a cult here? No, absolutely not. There was a place one time, Old Testament, for blood sacrifices, but since that time, since the one and only atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrificial death of Christ, not only, not only are blood sacrifices unnecessary, they're actually wrong today. So we're not talking about, okay, I'm a living sacrifice, I'm going to... Cut myself up, and that's not what we're talking about. What are we talking about here? I, I really believe one of the best explanations for you and I to understand this idea of living sacrifice is surrounded around what God has ordained when it comes to the relationship between a husband and a wife. I believe that marriage is the best indication of what we have and what it means to be a living sacrifice. What happens? Matter of fact, this summer we celebrated several. Aaron and Brianna, uh, Nick and Kim, uh, Mark and Lori. What happens? And I love to just witness there and to be a part of that. And what happens is they come walking, okay, the bride arrayed in all of her glory and beauty, and she 
she combed her hair that day or whatever she does, and all the focus is on the bride, and she walks in. And the groom's just grinning. That's all he does. He doesn't know, do I put my hands in the back? Or I just don't, I'm just grinning. They just grin. But what happens is that they come together in front of them. We always use this term, in the presence of what? God and all of these witnesses and what they're doing publicly for everyone to see and hear. I'm offering myself completely to you. I've never seen a wedding. I've never heard of a marriage that says, I am yours. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll give you Saturday to I've never heard that. It doesn't work like that. I am yours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. After that, whoa, no, we're not. It it, it doesn't work like that. It is offering every part of ourself to that person. Matter of fact, it says until death separates. There is no way out of this. I said with couples before they're married, all the time, do you understand there is no way out of this relationship as long as you are breathing? Okay, the only way that you're out is when you're dead. That, that's what it means to be living sacrifice. And we have the same idea that is applied of what you and I are supposed to be in offering ourselves living sacrifices to God. How does this look like? Um, personally, it took me, I'm a slow learner. It took me years to figure this out. I gave my heart to the Lord when I was young. Um, I was raised in a really neat, cool, godly family by God's grace. Through a long, weird turn of events, I became a pastor in 1995. For 15 years, until 2010, I got paid to study this book. Think about it. That's a pretty cool gig. I got paid every day to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. I got paid to go places and say, you know what, let's, let's pray about this. We don't know what to do. Let's, let's pray together. And what happened is that after 15 years... I suffered officially from what it is referred to as compassion fatigue. Compassion, caring, fatigue, tired. After 15 years, I got tired of caring. Officially, the term is compassion fatigue. Unofficially, what is it? It's burnout. And so we prayed, my wife and I, and I resigned and we moved to Florida. For one year, and I was going to mow grass because I wanted to mow grass. That's exactly what I started to do. A couple months, did not talk to a person. What's interesting is that after a couple months, I was in dialogue with a young man, and he described his home life, and he says, my, my mom and dad, they, they did this, and, and why why they behave like this? Why they... I said, well, it's obvious the way they... Because they're broken. And, and I know a way that people who are broken can be healed. It's called good news. And I shared with this man the gospel. And what was interesting is that the next day I bumped into someone else and I shared with them the gospel. And then another person. And my wife and I, we invited people into our own home. I, I was not getting paid to share the gospel. I was getting paid to mow grass. 
And I was just getting paid just like you to live everyday life. And we invited people into our home. And we, we began to encourage them through the Word of God. We began to, to pray with them. I had the privilege of leading two different people to the Lord. I'm still involved in a discipleship relationship with one of those people. And we went to church every week. We didn't want to be bad. We didn't want to do things differently. I thought at first, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm going to steal a Harley Davidson and drive to California. Let my hair grow real long. That's what I thought initially I would do. And I realized I don't even want to do that. That who I am, I'm going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray with you. Even if I'm not getting paid to pray with you, I'm still going to do that. And I realized it was this moment that doesn't matter about what I'm paid to do. It doesn't matter if I... What matters is that I have offered my life to the Lord. You as well. Regardless of who you are, where you are, you've offered your life to the Lord and you are to live as a living sacrifice. That's what this word means. Now what is so cool is that God actually gives to us. He blesses us with a, 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 a means and a relationship of how this, this living sacrifice is made known or manifested. And it happens by your being here together today. And it happens in relationships. It happens through what we call the local church. Living sacrifice becomes reality through the local church. Why? Because local church is all about commitments. I was so blessed to read, actually a couple of years ago now, I know I've quoted bits and pieces of it to you. Uh, Joshua Harris wrote a little tiny book called Stop Dating the Church. Stop, stop just kind of sitting on the sidelines and he talks about the fact, you know what? Give her a ring. Make the commitment. Dive in to the deep ends. In a very practical way, throughout this little book, he actually structures, he lists for you. And I'll read to you. This is what he says first and foremost. He says, you join. You don't wait on the outside, waiting for all the stars to align until you... It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is, are you living a sacrifice with the way that God has ordained this thing to be unfurled to the local church? You give her a ring. Harris continues on and he says, you make the local church a priority in your life. Which means what? Well, if I have a free day, I'll show up. No, that's not what it's talking about. You carve your entire week around this time to worship and learn and to fellowship together. That's what it means to make the church a priority. Harris continues on. I actually thought about just skipping this one, but I thought, no, I'm not going to. It says here, you know what he says? He says, you try to make your pastor's job a joy. Can I pause on that for a moment? Let me say this as a testimony. Many, many, many of you do exactly that. You are a blessing to me, to my wife, to my family. I praise God for that. Harris continues on. He says, you find ways to serve. Yeah, but I don't like the program. It doesn't matter about what you like or what. You plug yourself in. You get busy. You delight in this. This is who we're called to be. Harris says, you give. You give what? Sacrificially. You give generously. You give joyfully. What an opportunity. God has ordained this thing. This is his 
idea for moving the gospel forward through the means of the local church of Jesus Christ. You connect with people. Relationships. Get, get out of the boat that you're kind of floating in on your own little island and you connect and relate. Join a home group, commit to a ministry, whatever it is. You begin to build relationships. That's where we're going. That's what God has designed and ordained. I love this last one. He says, you share your passion. If our passion is the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to really ask myself honestly, how many people are doing that? We recommit to offer every part of ourselves to the Lord. Secondly, we recommit to live and think completely different than the world thinks. You recommit to live and think completely different than the world thinks. Understand a transformed mind comes when we are not conformed to the world. This means what? This means that we do not think like the world, but we think differently than the world thinks. What's interesting is that oftentimes these happen simultaneously. As we are not conforming to the world, our mind is being transformed. And our pattern here that we have, the model that we're following, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. While he lived and ministered here on this earth, he refused, why, in complete holiness, to surrender or submit to to Satan's solicitations to temptation. And he was transformed. The word is metamorphio. Think about it. What? Think caterpillar to butterfly, that type. Same ingredients, but something happens. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he did not, he would not want to suffer. And we know that because in the Garden of Gethsemane, the very night before, he says what he prays. He says, Father, Father, if it's your will, please remove this cup, this cup of suffering. But what? But nevertheless, not my will. We've got to learn that same idea. That's a transforming of our mind. Not my will. My will is what? I want to go to party. I'm going to go to a parade. My will is what? I, I, I want to go anyplace else. I'm going to go to a ball game, a barbecue. My will is to have fun. No, no, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ modeled this for us. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, what, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's practical ways, not only corporately as a body, but individually as people. We live our lives not like the world, completely different from the world, but like Christ. Well, what are practical ways? The world says this. The world has this overall encompassing message. You look out for yourself. Well, the word of God says, Christ says, no, you look out for others first and yourself last. The, the world says what? You give of your leftovers. You got a little bit left over at the end of the week and you drop something in the plate to make yourself feel good. Well, no, that's not what Christ says. Christ says you give of your first fruits. You take 10% off the top and say, Lord, this is yours. Everything else in addition to that is an offering to God for all of his goodness and grace. The world says what? You're here just by chance. 
You're just a big accident. As a result of chaos brought to somehow what? And so you only, you only go around once. And so you might as well have fun. You die and go in the ground. It's all, no, that's not what... Christ says what? Christ says that you were designed and you were born with a purpose. And your purpose is to live every single day for the glory of God. It's different than the world. Let me tell you honestly, you will be weird in your workplace. But that's okay. That's what we're called to be. That's who we're called to be. Understand that a transformed mind is totally unique. It is radically and dramatically different than everything that we see in here today. And so you sign up and say, okay, I'm a living sacrifice. Do you realize what that means? There's messages of this world that are constantly being promoted. One of them, I don't know why, but I find interest with like ultimate goals in life. The world says there's certain goals, and one of those huge goals in life is like retirement. Then at a certain age, everything's perfect, and you got lots of money, you kind of ride off in the sunset, and so we're all working for this, like some kind of goal. And so I stumbled upon this just this week, and I began to read. Somebody wrote 10 Secrets to Successful Retirement. This is what the world says. As I was reading it, I had to get a bucket and bring it next to me because I was feeling that nauseous. Here's, here's the world. This is what the world says you need to do in order to be successful in your retirement. Number one, find your passion. Well, if your passion is the gospel, that's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number two, create a success inventory. What that is, I don't know. Why it is, I don't entirely know. Number three, talk with your partner. Who's your partner? Talk with your partner about wit what each of you want out of retirement. So it's all about like, what what do we want, really? What is our goal? And then this one, this is one of my favorite ones. This is actually in the list. Keep a green tree in your heart and perhaps the songbird will come. (laughs) I'm sorry. Is it just kind of like a message that the world's not... Keep a... I literally, it's a quote. Here it is. Ernie J. Zielinski, who is a retirement expert, which we have those now in our world, who apparently I disagree with completely with Mr. Zielinski, who wrote a book, How to Retire Happy, Wild, and Free. Zielinski says, I love this Chinese proverb, keep a green tree in your heart and perhaps the songbird will come, perhaps. I love this Chinese proverb. Essentially, it means that if you continue to grow and feel alive in retirement, You'll feel forever young. Really? Doesn't that sound kind of reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, that says, you will not surely die? Isn't it interesting that the world's thinking is completely different than what the Word of God says? And you and I are called to live recommitted, refreshed, re-understood, recharged, reignited, refocused on what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We recommit to offer every part of yourself to God. We recommit to live and think completely different than the way the world thinks. That's going to happen in your care, in your concern, in the love that you have for, for things or lack of love and the, the love that you have for others. It's going to be revealed in your serving, in your giving, in your sacrificing. 
And I often have thought about, what about this message for the Romans? Did they get this? How did they finish? Individually, how did they finish? Of course, you can't ask that without asking, what? how do you and I? We've heard this instruction. This is what God's word has for you and I today. How are we going to finish? I tell you what, if it begins at this very moment, if it begins, if you're kind of here feeling your way through life, looking for answers, if it begins with a commitment to Christ, to say, Lord, you are the only one and I offer my life to you. And let me tell you this, make it. Make it right now. You can offer your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If it, if it begins with a recommitment, I've made the decision, but I am living for myself, I tell you what, then make the decision right now. Recommit. If it's a decision to be baptized, if you've been wrestling with, let me tell you this, okay, you make the decision to go do it. Talk to me, talk to someone, tell someone, do I really want to get wet in front of it? Do you really want to be obedient to God or disobedient? That's really what it boils down to. If it comes to a decision of, should I become a member or not? You know, I'm not really liking the guy's hair or lack thereof a whole lot. doesn't matter about what you like. What matters is what? We are instructed to be connected and held accountable as part of a body of Christ. This is what God's vehicle is to move the gospel forward. If it's a decision that you're wrestling with, do I, do I tithe or, or do I not tithe? Do I? I tell you what, make the decision. And listen to the testimonies of many who said, it belongs to him and you are far, far safer in his hands than in your own hands. If it comes to a decision you're wrestling with, do I, do I connect with a home group or not? You know, I really have a busy schedule. I tell you what, make the decision to be involved in relationship with one another. God's word calls us to do that. If you're wrestling with, do I make a decision to be involved in a discipleship relationship? I don't have a lot of, wait, wait a minute, are you being obedient or disobedient to God's word? You desire to follow Christ? If you follow Christ, it says you make disciples. It's that important. What, why, why is this? Haven't we gone through? Because there is a moment... I trust, I hope that the Romans with this clear message and word, but I hope for you and I, there's that moment. We've been given God's word. We've been instructed to offer ourselves as living sacrifices that you and I will stand before the Lord. And we will immediately fall on our faces. And our goal, our desire is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is our prayer. I trust that's your goal, to recommit your entire life to be a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we cannot do this in our own strength. And so we plead, I plead and beg for you to empower us. Help us, Lord, to make the decisions that we need to make. Help us to be bold and help us to be brave even if we are weird in our workplace. God, before anything else, we want to be obedient. Give us the strength to do that. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Would you stand with us, please, as we close? And I want to read uh, Romans 12, 1 again and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body.